Welcome to Mummy and Daddy. The podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. Because parenting can be scary. And kids are definitely creepy. Well, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. I'm proud to be Delawarean, Josh. Proud to be Delawarean, where I was trying to quickly think of a Delaware landmark or road. Where where at least things are tax-free. Ooh, at least things are (laughs) tax-free. Things. Just things. (laughs) Everything. Yay. Yay. We came out of the other side of Spooktoberfest. Mm-hmm. With the ultimate relief package. (laughs) It's been at least five years since we last recorded. (laughs) And yet, it seems like just yesterday. (sighs) Well, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good to be here. It's good to be uh, in November. Yeah, on the other side. Um, Feeling good. Really excited for... uh, Trump to actually concede. That'll be nice. But hey, we got Biden Harris coming up. Very excited. That's right. We renamed our kids Biden Harris. Yeah. They're both named Biden Harris now. Yeah. <laughs> Confusing around here, but we're very proud. <laughs> um <sighs> Yeah, it is a relief. I felt so so that all happened last weekend. Um as we record this and this week I have felt a a complete like bottom out of just adrenaline and all that. I mean, relief is a word, but also just like a a vacuum of, I guess I had been so long thinking about what would happen that I really wasn't thinking about the aftermath. And I also wasn't thinking about, it actually being okay. And, you know, obviously it's not right now. I mean, we still have all the work to do, as they say, and is true. But, you know, I guess I just didn't realize how um, pessimistic I had been, you know, or trying not to let myself be optimistic, which is not right. But I I guess I just didn't realize. So, yeah, this week I felt very, like, shell-shocked in a weird way. I've felt a lack of existential dread at bedtime. That's great. Like I, I genuinely didn't, yeah. it's like glib to say it or something now, but I wasn't giving myself the space to recognize it for what it was or, well, I also didn't feel a way out. Mm-hmm. And now just like all the, yeah, all the reporting of people dancing in the streets yeah, in our beloved cities um, yeah, has been... Yeah, it's very inc- uplifting. Yeah, it's incredible. Wow, what a time. Yeah, I have I've been sleeping better this week for sure. Just feels like more deeply. Yep. Um and then also being able to re- kind of refocus on how <laughs> 
this sounds so bad, but like how to refocus on how we're still in a pandemic. Like mm-hmm. I feel like, well, you know, there's been news of a vaccine now that's like ever closer, the closest we've been, you know, 90% efficacy. Um, and so all this talk around a vaccine, but also like the skyrocketing rates in so many cities and how things are so bad right now with, with the pandemic. It's like, I think I had pushed all that aside. Like you, you, you really just don't have the bandwidth to think about it. And not, not that I need like something horrible to dwell on, but like, I don't, I had totally replaced my COVID anxiety with election anxiety. <laughs> and For now sure. we're back to COVID anxiety. So, <laughs> Or at least just being able to think about it. Yeah. I think I always identified, I didn't let myself identify as one of the people who was done with COVID, like kind of tired of uh, living through it and ready to let my guard down, which I think is unfair to myself because it has, I I do feel that way so often, you know, Mm. like we're obviously very good about masks and hand washing and distance and all that stuff, but it still is like, yeah, I want it to be done. I want it to be done. I do feel like I understand the instinct to say, yeah, I've paid, I've paid my dues. There is a difference between you wanting to be done and acting as though it is done. Because yes. everybody wants it to be done. But like we are not traveling for the holidays. We're not seeing people. We're not no. doing anything for Thanksgiving and, you know, a normal celebration. So, I mean, it's really, oh, it's really worrisome. All the people who, who are, um, you know, going to weddings, going to birthday parties and stuff. And we are not those people. So, I mean, what kind of parenting podcast would we be if we were? That would be funny if that was like, yeah, we're just like, you know, we're pretty loose. Yeah. (laughs) Anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers. I guess there are, there's a podcast for everybody these days. So, oh my God, there is. I made the mistake of looking at like the iTunes podcast charts and like the top five are all just like all mommy and daddy. They're all, we're, we're just the top five episodes. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. God, we're awesome. <laughs> um, speaking of Mummy and Diddy, on this podcast, we talk about movies mostly and parenting. So mm. let's talk about the movie that we watched. Oh, let's talk about that one. Well, we rolled the dice. And you know what? Sometimes <laughs> the dice roll you. <laughs> the dice roll back. And, you know, I... I'm always hoping that I'm going to find a, a movie that is that I haven't seen that nobody's really told me about and it's going to be this uh, little gem. But that's not how we felt about 2016's Lights Out. And it's a shame because I think that there was a lot of good stuff in this yes. movie. Almost too much good stuff. <laughs> um they say you can't have enough of a good thing, but yeah, you know, too much good stuff. Yeah, there Was were that Snapple. I don't know. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm wonder. I'm curious what our listening audience thinks about this movie. But um, it was a a different kind of movie as far as parenting goes. I'm excited to talk about those things. Um, but I guess first, just in case our audience hasn't seen this movie, we should recap it. Yeah, let's recap it. Are you reading this week's recap? 
Sure. Yeah. I, um, I struggled with this one. Um, well, well, I'll, I'll read the Rotten Tomatoes one just to give a fair shake. Cause we, we said we were switching over to Rotten Tomatoes, uh, recaps, but in truth, we have not. We always return to our- That was a long time ago. <laughs> we have been called back to the internet movie database time and time again, like a, like a old codependent friend from the past. <laughs> um, the siren song of the internet movie database. <laughs> okay, well, dance the, of the one who brought you. This, um, this is the one from the Rotten Tomatoes. When Rebecca left home, she thought she left her childhood fears behind. Growing up, she was never really sure of what was and wasn't real when the lights went out. And now, her little brother Martin is experiencing the same unexplained and terrifying events that had once tested her sanity and threatened her safety. A frightening entity with a mysterious attachment to their mother, Sophie, has reemerged. But this time... As Rebecca gets closer to unlocking the truth, there is no denying that all their lives are in danger once the lights go out. Okay. That, like, says nothing about the movie. It really says, like, nothing. So I do need to read another recap to give people a little bit more. That was like a creative writing exercise where someone (laughs) retold this movie from another point of view. Because yeah. that is not the movie we watched. The, yeah. It, yeah. It was so nondescript. Um, Jumping in deep with Rebecca's side of things. <laughs> yeah. But all all of the other summaries on IMDb start, talk, start with talking about Paul, like the stepdad. Very and linear. It, the IMDb yeah. plot summary crowd. Yeah. So, um, okay. I'm going to go with... Uh, I've, I've read summaries by this guy before and i know i'm mispronouncing his name but i'm just going to call him nick reginus because uh that's funnier it is um it's all he deserves until he calls into the podcast (laughs) okay years after the mysterious and gruesome death of their father paul in his textile factory not much seemed to have changed for his mentally disturbed wife sophie and paul's young son martin as a matter of fact Sophie's condition clearly gets worse. As her increasingly persistent conversations with her familiar mutinous demons with the darkness embrace, threaten Martin's safety, (laughs) who more than ever needs his older stepsister. She's actually his half-sister, Rebecca. In Sophie's mind, the entity that haunts her is palpably distinct and inextricably intertwined with her her existence. Nevertheless, to Martin and Rebecca, things are not so obvious. But soon, the fleeting but dreadful sounds, along with the faint traces of otherworldly manifestations, will teach the, the siblings that terrors do exist when the lights are out. Lights out. Okay. So maybe it's still not doing justice to what actually occurs in this movie. Um, so let's just let's just start with like a few bullet points. So the 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 stepdad, the uh, dad, uh, Martin's dad, Martin's Paul dad. dies in his textile factory. Yeah, Agent Smith and Richard Marx's baby. <laughs> yeah. Um I actually really liked the opening of the movie. I thought it was setting up to for like a a pretty scary movie. Yeah. It's like a shadow person and truly doesn't exist in light. Or you <sighs> 
I guess, exists in the light. No, not really at all. Disappears. Disappears. That, yeah. It's a cool concept. And they did it really well in the beginning. And you didn't expect that dad to die. I didn't expect him to die. No. No, they set him up like he'd be a character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. He looks vaguely familiar. So you kind of felt like, oh, he probably lives. Right. (laughs) And, and... He's working late in his factory and there's lots of mannequins and it's only um, motion sensor lights, like really cool ideas for like in a, in a big warehouse space, like how scary that would be. And he gets a FaceTime call from his son, Martin, who's like really worried about their mom who's had, who's having like mental issues. I thought at the time, considering how scared Martin was, the fact that he left him that paul left martin alone with this woman it seemed really irresponsible it seemed like the mom was pretty sick and like talking to herself and i just remember being like that's that's a bad dad you know yeah (laughs) it's sort of a misstep because martin's really young martin's very young the sister's already left the house so he's definitely alone with the mom and it's not as though the death of the dad is like a inciting event with her mental illness or anything else right it is we know she's already sick yeah and you were saying and dangerous yeah and you were saying like some red flags went up when he said um like that he's gonna fix the the, yes (laughs) paul's advice was i'll get her better and it's thought that was such a weird promise to make your son Mm -hmm. like it's not i just it really immediately like jumped out at me it wasn't even one of those like okay, how could we talk about that for the podcast? It immediately just struck me as like a very weird Mm -hmm. thing that I would never promise to do Mm -hmm. as a caregiver. Yeah. And within the context of, I think, the themes of this movie, it makes a lot of sense because you learn that like Paul has kind of been keeping this entity at bay. And I love that the, so it's Diana, we learn that this shadow person is like a, person from the mom's past but like she's not bound to the house she's not bound to sophie she comes into this warehouse and kills this guy and so that was really cool like okay like i'm on board high stakes from from the Mm get-go which i i felt it was the first time i had ever felt watching a horror movie like oh this is maybe what like coming on too strong where it can work against you a little bit Mm. Two, eventually that's sort of how i felt where like it kind of threw off the pacing of it in a way but i thought it was a really fun starting point because it was really scary i thought it was and like the the monster is cool yeah it's good really solid like yeah great like great effects even i think it looks yeah good. yeah that like a really deep black and yeah it, it is like a you know twitchy monster but not in a cheesy way like it felt yeah it felt I was like, I'm good with this monster. You know, like, it's yeah. scary. It wasn't uh, just like a contortionist. Yes, <laughs> which I don't like. I don't like it when they're just like bending over backwards. So then it's it's years later after. How many this. years do you think it was? Well, I mean, according to Nick Reginus, it's, uh, it's a while. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's some time after. Yeah. Could um, be weeks. Even. Yeah. But she's... They they say in the movie that like, I think some time has passed. Okay, it's not. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not years, but maybe it is like weeks or months. But um, the little boy Martin is now just ho- at home with his 
very, very mentally ill mother. And off her medication. It was off her meds. Then we're with Rebecca, who's like the main the main character of the movie, I guess. A rock and roller from the mean streets <laughs> of present day Highland Park, California. <laughs> she has big black boots. She has posters on her wall. She definitely wears eyeliner. She's got a boyfriend with jaw length hair and a just for men beard. And <laughs> it it looks, I just don't understand this character choice yeah. in the year 2016 like yeah. who are they supposed to be like these like sunset strip yeah rockers he <laughs> reminded me of the guy who plays the mandalorian not that oh, that has any mando yeah um but yeah that was a very weird character he's very supportive of rebecca in a almost inexplicable way i don't know he but the movie just kind of keeps devolving you know you you have you have very high hopes after like an an opening like that anyway so rebecca is not fit to be a parent that's what this and i was saying after we watched it like i wish they had just gone fully into that like if she had been like a sex worker or like a she had had a drug problem beyond like the bong in her living room which felt so conspicuous right i will share my one of my all-time favorite youtube it might be it was like a vine or something it's from that era of the mm. kid who's orders a bong on amazon mm. and his mom makes him open it oh my god and he acts like he doesn't know what it is it's like this oh yeah yeah i do remember this it's a beautiful capsule into like what it is like to be a teenager and watching the magical thinking of like oh if i just can maybe like distract her for a second mm-hmm. i can get out of this inevitable situation but mm-hmm. anyway that's that's more the Rebecca I saw in this. It would have been, I agree, much better if instead of having like this incredibly desirable apartment and like yeah. she's like- No real job. Uh, yeah. She's kind of like a healthier looking Kristen Stewart. And is, yeah. So- Has a caring boyfriend of eight months. Right. Doesn't let the boyfriend stay over. Very detached from the boyfriend who clearly just wants to love her and wants to be there for her. Mm-hmm. Um. But so Martin eventually like is brought to Rebecca, I think, by the social worker. They call her because they can't get a hold of the mother. And then like Rebecca offers Martin to stay with her. But eventually they take Martin back because that is a custody issue. You can't just even though it's his half older half sister, she can't take care of him. And so Martin has to go back to this house and even when Martin's at Rebecca's, I think, I think he just stays there for one night. Diana comes to her apartment and there's like a whole scary yeah. scene. Carves some shit in the floor. Her name. and Her name. Right. Yeah. It just, you know. Uh, okay. So anyway. I wish that uh, scene had been because you hear so much scritchy scratching. Mm-hmm. Um, scritchy scratch is a reference to that, <laughs> that click hole quiz about when, yeah. when his daddy coming home. We'll also be sharing that in the show notes. Um, There's so much scritchy scratching in the floor that I was hoping she'd come out and see like, you know, like an elaborate, almost like a crop circle or something scratched into her floor. You know, like some Mm -hmm. really crazy, kind of undeniable thing. They've made it undeniable (laughs) 
Because I just came right out and said it was said her name. It. And then to yeah. have to double down with the flashback to the childhood artwork, which she later finds. There's a lot of research that Rebecca does into her mom's past, and it's really heavy-handed, and it really slows the pace down. Anyway, I'm just trying to like get to like the meat of this movie, trying yeah. to like move through it. So, um, Martin eventually has to go back home. And Rebecca goes with him and the boyfriend and they spend like this night in the house and they're trying to convince the mom we know who Diana is because at this point they've figured out that Diana is someone that her mother met in a mental institution when they were kids. And the kids both find out she's hospitalized that her mom was ever institutionalized. No, I think they knew. First I think time, they, I think, I think they when knew she was it. uncovering this box of stuff. Oh, I thought they thought they knew it. But either way, <laughs> I guess that the the stepdad had been had been researching, and there's this whole box of evidence about it, right. and that's why he, he has had the to... box of evidence <laughs> in his one scene, right? Wait, and which so... somehow made its way home. That is interesting. I guess they would have come and gotten his effects, but you would have think yeah. thought Diana would have done away with that. Yeah, well, she's only there when the lights are out. So <laughs> <laughs> let me remind you. <laughs> um. Yeah, and so the yeah, the, there's just like a lot of uh, backstory, and it's very tedious, and <laughs> there's a lot to do with Diana to explain why this monster, this supernatural monster, is the way that she is. And I just thought that didn't really need to, you know, it's like she had this this skin condition, and she's very light sensitive, and then they tried to cure her, and it went wrong, and then they like put her in this basically like an electric chair, and she yeah. turned into a shadow. And right. it's like she we, may be dead. Yeah. She, well, she is some kind of magical creature that was so light sensitive that right. now she only exists in the darkness. I'm good with just I'm good. You know, I didn't need all that. And yeah. then there's another layer that gets uh, uh, unveiled. You know, that it just was too much. It was way too much. But they try to confront the mom about Diana. And this is making Diana very mad. And um, she tries to kill all of them, basically, in this night where they have, like, a home alone kind of night with her trying to, like, trap her and get her to um, yeah, be revealed. and they Tape up the light switches and stuff. Yeah. They're trying to, you know, always have light with them, which was smart, but not smart enough. And is there, is there more that you want to say about, like, what happens in this movie before we get to the beat of it? I'm trying to... Like, it, no. There's just so many unnecessary steps in the movie. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, because I think for our podcast purposes, I did note how much time they spent in explaining why, say, why the social worker was able to explain the custody situation and why you're sort of playing with fire if you'd want to take the mom to court and risk all of all that that entails and the trauma of that and so on <laughs> in a battle you might lose. It was like a week, like that was kind of a lot of work. It was. Yeah. In that to get at a thing where like, again, having her maybe just being unfit and it just mm-hmm. being a case of like, you obviously can't stay here. Yeah. You know, and like maybe not believing that the mom is more dangerous. Cause yeah, I guess I want to just like a more, artistic and less narrative version of the story like Mm -hmm. if it had just been a little bit more moody because it's such a cool concept and i like it was very like babadookian in its uh mental health stuff i think it yeah i think it definitely you know was influenced by that movie trying to touch on the same kind of themes 
Um, but there was no, yeah, there was no like mood to it. There wasn't any, it was just, there was, it wasn't very stylized. I feel like it could have cut out all that backstory, cut out all like the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't get into the weeds with it. You could have had a great movie. I agree. Keep it rolling. And yeah. I, oh, I would have also liked to have seen this movie could have taken a page out of the people under the stairs book mm. and had a little bit more home alone to that house right. part like right. a little bit a little bit more of like a preparation montage because a kid and also a couple of rockers who probably own some cool LED lights for when they play the hi-hat or wherever right. <laughs> specific <laughs> local um stuff they're playing they never really had a moment of being of acknowledging like oh this thing can't exist out of the light we have to gather up as many flashlights, light sources. We need, you must never be without light. batteries, right? Like just be ready. Right. And kind of the Nightmare on Elm Street. We just rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street during uh, the Halloween season. Always a delight. I mean, so, so well good. Done. So and good. It's almost a shame that we followed it up with something like this because that's such a perfect movie. Yeah. there And that, that one has so many, uh, incidentally, also Wes Craven, right? But like that has so many of those little things of like Nancy with like the Mr. Coffee next to her bed. Just mm -hmm. like, like what's a teenager going to do to try to fight off the inevitability of sleep? And I think you'd have that too if like at some point you even have one night where Martin falls asleep with a lantern on next to the bed. And wakes up in the bed. You see the light bulb fading out. The batteries are dying or whatever. Yeah. And just realizing like, oh, no, it's never going to be just as easy as sleeping with the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they even they set it up. They're like, we're going to put in some safeguards. And I was like, thank you for telling us yeah. that. Um, but then they, they didn't do much. No. They didn't. Yeah. And I thought like it was a cool effect. The black light thing at the end mm -hmm. with like saying, oh, we could see her. And, mm -hmm. that, and that was a, like, there was some cool effects bones yeah, to were, this, just were... badly written, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. Oh, it's such a shame because it's so hard to do something new in this arena. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel for, um, I feel for David F. Sandberg, although he's also directed Shazam and Annabelle. So I think he's doing fine. Oh my God. Well, Annabelle creation. I'm sorry. That's a later Annabelle. Oh, but Shazam is actually really solid. Oh. It's like a fun movie. Well, good. good Maybe he him. should stick to that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, anyway, all these things happen in the movie. <laughs> and so much more that's not worth talking about. But we want to talk to you about the parenting stuff in this movie. And it was interesting. It was a different sort of dynamic because it's this older sibling as parent figure, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's... There's this whole like age gap in the movie that both of us have sort of in our in our own families. And I'm the younger sibling where I have like a, a sister who's nine years older than me. And you're on the opposite end where you're the older sibling and you have a brother who's like 20, 20 years. 20 younger. Years I have a half brother, right. a stepbrother, according to our friend Nick Regina's. <laughs> um, I was actually just recounting this doing like the timeline of this for a friend i was actually spending the summer across the country in portland oregon the summer my brother was born so like a month after he was born i came back home 
And but then I was in college for like one more year and then graduated college and moved to California. So we weren't in each other's lives at home, but we have, you know, we would go on vacations together and, and we would visit with each other and mm-hmm. still do, of course. But like I understood this dynamic here where like I will say one thing that I thought they got right about this was they didn't overplay like the estranged nature of this relationship, even though it's clear they're not tight. Like yeah. this brother and sister It's like, they still are brother and sister. And mm-hmm. I think that really resonated with me as like a real yeah. thing where it'd just be like, Oh yeah, you're not. Well, especially when the person is not like a fuck up or whatever else. Yeah. Like you're, you're still in the picture. You're still in each other's lives. You're just maybe not, you're not part of that day to day. It's a little weird because they live in the same town. Um, <laughs> right. you know? Anyway, I, I, I did like that. She was still able to like show up for him. It was mm-hmm. also like, oh, and the other thing I think that they did well was like, there were a couple of characters, the boyfriend and the social worker that sort of call out to Rebecca that like, I don't know if you know, if you're ready for this, like mm-hmm. to step in and actually be this child's parent. Yeah. That's something I do remember too, about when my brother was born my brother Caleb, is that, uh, it's weird because we just found out like all our parents listen to this, but like I was a sexually active adult when he was born. <gasps> so I couldn't help but, <laughs> I couldn't help but draw the, that line of like, I could have been the one making this phone call saying like, yeah. I'm going to have a kid and yeah. it says my parents calling. And so being that age and all of a sudden having like a baby in your life it does make you realize how deeply unprepared yeah. you are for parenthood. And it's like a, a very challenging yeah. thing. If you were really like, no, 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 I got this. Yeah, I'll I'll make sure you like eat and do homework. Yeah. I'll brush your hair while you're eating this peanut butter sandwich I made you. Gross. <laughs> that was Why so, did that <laughs> so strange? Oh God. Um She's not ready to have a kid. And unfortunately, at the end, yeah, that arc never really gets completed in a way that's satisfying Yep. because she doesn't have the opportunity to step up to the plate. She's basically in the same position she is at the beginning of the movie where he's now thrust upon her, you know? Yeah. Um. But we'll get to that. Yeah, I thought this movie, I'd love to talk to David F. Sandberg about yeah, if he- I'd love to. If he meant if he meant for this movie to be so much about codependency, because it was just in almost every relationship tied to the mom, that's what I kept thinking about, even the beginning where Paul's on the phone, where he's like, I'll, I'll make her better. Yeah. And oh, how- Wait- David F. Sandberg did. He called in and actually left a voicemail. Can I play it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, well, that answers that. Um, yeah, even when Paul is on the phone and he's saying, I'll get her better, and how she has relied on the the mom, Sophie, played by Maria Bello, who I definitely thought was the star of this movie when I looked at the posters. But no, she's the mom because she's older now. And that makes sense. So unclear why she's in this movie. <laughs> she was so good. She really was so good in it. I thought 
That was a hard role to play. Yeah. But she made it very, very believable. But the codependency with her daughter, Rebecca, and her son, Martin, and her husbands, and this friend, Diana. This woman is just like this whirling dervish of codependency. Mm -hmm. And how it all began with the fact that she like couldn't let Diana down. She was behaving in ways where she was trying to avoid Diana's anger or rejection or whatever. So she... As a kid, it was dealing with this codependent friendship that never died and then looked for that in her relationships with um, her partners and then, you know, didn't learn anything and was then doing it to her kids. And the only puzzle piece that didn't really fit was that Rebecca was so in the other direction, like she was so fiercely depend uh, independent, right? Like I guess that makes sense um, that she wouldn't want to like let anybody in and be influenced by anybody at all because she right. like in the beginning of the movie doesn't let her boyfriend stay over, doesn't let him even leave a sock there, and I'm thinking, oh, it's because Diana's coming at night, like right? How cool would that um, be if she's actually just put up this what seems like this like tough girl persona yes. is like. Oh, no, I'm literally trying to save your yes, life. Yes, that's what yeah. I thought was happening. I do this so much with movies. I need to stop. I'd love to stop doing this with movies where I'm trying to outsmart it and then think of things that are better in the end. That yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that because, I oh, I'm so creative. It's just more like I'm so bored by what's happening. Um, you or almost just, shouldn't have the time right, to you think shouldn't, about it. Yes, you should just be swept up in a movie. Ideally, you're not thinking about anything. You're along for the ride. That's the goal. But then when there are these like long, long scenes, you're just thinking, okay, okay, what are they setting up? What are they, you know, is the mom the monster? Is she, is the daughter the monster? But um, is it all in their imaginations? Is it yeah. a manifestation of her, like, yeah, I mean, it was very the American Babadook in all the worst way, like the ugly American Babadook, where it's just I like know. this ham fisted thing on like what if your psychosis became reality right right your particular thing is codependency i guess right that didn't even because yeah if you know if you if you put this up to the babadook it's just it's really heinous but i think that in general this movie oh god it's so hard for me to like write it off and dismiss it because there were so many fun things about it and i really wish they hadn't messed it up Mm -hmm. but codependency i've been thinking a lot about it lately because of dr becky at home I've, Shout out Dr. Becky at home. <laughs> I've mentioned her before on the show. Um, she's like my favorite uh, parenting account right now. She talks a lot about things that, you know, we've talked about on the show, like a respectful approach. And she also kind of talks about like reparenting yourself. And I, I know that the upbringing podcast and like their, their like live videos talk about that too but like it's inevitable if you're thinking very you know deeply about parenting that you're gonna start thinking about your own childhood and how you were brought up and what you're bringing to this relationship from your past relationships um anyway so dr becky is uh such a fun follow if you don't follow her already um but she a few weeks ago probably months ago at this point did an Instagram story all about codependency. And I will link to it 
um, somehow, or I don't know how you do that. It's it's pinned on her page, but yeah, I'm sure there's a way. You can still share them. Yeah. But basically talking about how you can't expect your child to do your job of parenting, about how if you make their behavior about how it affects other people, it creates codependency, right? And like how if... Um, like you're wrapping your emotions in their actions too, right? Even you or wrapping your emotions if you're like, oh, it makes me so sad mm-hmm. when you do that, that, but also like don't hit your brother. It makes him sad. And it's like, right. that's not why you shouldn't let your child hit their brother <laughs> um, or whatever the case may be. So I was just thinking about that, how they, you know, her story really got me because it's something that you don't really think about. And luckily, it's not something that we have done in our parenting approach because because of things like Janet Lansbury and Mm -hmm. all these resources that we cling to for dear life. Um, So it's not like a behavior that I wanted to correct because the foundations were already laid in these other frameworks that we like but um just noticing how powerful that is how powerful like how that can carry into your whole relationship of like oh now as a kid i don't want to rock the boat i don't want to have my emotions or my behavior like set somebody off so i'm not going to I'm not going to like fully emote or recognize my emotions. But as I was researching this for the podcast, since I had only really begun to thought about, think about this with Dr. Becky, I, I found two really interesting, short, but interesting um, articles about parents who are codependent with their children mm, and how okay. that is something that, I always think about how like millennial parents might be like the downfall of civilization because of so many things that I see happening all around us that are so backwards and like how what? like well I mean of course we're better than you know the physical abuse that that's obviously not happening as much anymore hopefully I don't have the stats but you know, yes. in general, we're all getting better. But there's just so much. I feel like there's there's so there's so much that millennial parents do that is based on their own childhood experiences that is terrible for children. You know, like it's just I, I feel like there there's not a lot of boundaries being held. There's a lot of permissiveness. There's a lot of like we uh, my other mom friends talk about how like the focus on the child could really backfire. And I think this is it. This is like, this is what I, when I'm thinking these, these thoughts of like, this isn't right. What I'm watching is because I see parents being codependent on their own child with Mm -hmm. their own children. Yeah. So like this little like listicle, it's like six signs you're a codependent parent and why it can be toxic for your kids. So it's like, you're easily overwhelmed by your child's emotions you need to be in control. You play the victim, i.e. it makes me sad when you do that, blah, blah, blah. You ignore other relationships. It's like not having your own life. Right, because the kid is there. mm -hmm. Yep. You use guilt as a weapon. 
And I, I feel like that is such a great, it's almost like the inverted list of like the Rye approach where you are not overwhelmed by your child's emotions. You don't always need to be control in control, you know, <laughs> like you're not tying your emotions to their behavior. You place boundaries for self-care and, you know, right. um, so yeah, so that was interesting um, of like, oh, that is what I'm seeing with parents around me is that they're so codependent in this relationship with their child. There's right. a lot, you know, there's a lot of struggles with bed sharing and, Obviously, we know that we're not taking a stance here at Mummy and Daddy. But if you're having a problem with it, if it's not working for you, like I, I, I hear a lot of people trying to not bed share, not just accepting it as like we have a family bed, we love it, it's our thing, right. you know. But like if it's not, <laughs> like, and just like setting boundaries with your kids, and I think it is like what I was saying about how we were brought up and we're still kind of like rebelling against the boundaries that were very firm and controlling maybe aspects of how we were brought up. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, those things have their problems too, but it, it, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It, it's almost like the sort of half-baked or sort of pseudo pseudoscience version of respectful parenting, right? Or like treating your, your young child as a, f as a, as an adult, as like an independent human being is like letting their emotions overwhelm you say mm -hmm. rather than like examining the whole like okay well how are you processing those emotions how are you staying in control for their sake and also still able to communicate your own needs and do self-care for yourself that those are all things that if that's not part of the package along with the like this child is like a fully formed adult mm -hmm. like that just means like you fall into that codependent trap, which is like, I feel like we saw a little bit when we were kids, the moms who are best friends with their daughters. You'd hear yeah. that thing of like, she's my best friend and yes. we like have matching outfits or we do X, Y. Whereas right. it's like, that shit is not healthy either. Right. You're not supposed to be best friends with your parents. It doesn't, right. doesn't take anything away from like love or your ability to communicate or mm -hmm. anything else. They should have, you should both have developed relationships with peers and right. not with just not solely or exclusively with your children because you're you're putting too much stuff into that basket yeah <laughs> and it's unfair this is the stuff that starts to dip a toe in that water if you can't put a boundary up for your child right yeah and how like there's a big difference between treating your child like an adult and just doing respectful age-appropriate practices like, mm -hmm. I think that they just get conflated. Yes. It gets. It, uh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like, uh, I like reading a book or looking up stuff about the things I'm doing. I'm not a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. And I really enjoy reading about these theories. And um, it's obviously why we do the podcast. It's fascinating for us to figure out these things like kind of as we go and it gives us a chance to examine our own parenting right it might not sound like it all the time but it <laughs> is true it is something that like it helps me certainly like process yeah you're processing and you're trying to be better yeah yeah it does it does take work and it, so anyway just even reading about codependency 
even briefly for just kind of talking about this movie, it's fascinating. It really does feel like the the root of a lot of problems. Um, oh, right. Well, hey, I was talking to a friend about it today with regards to the Trump White House and how he is a, he's a drunk daddy, right? Like he is a codependent. Mm, bad dad. He's a bad dad. He's like a codependent father figure to his underlings. Mm. And nobody wants to like shake his reality or anything else. Right. So you're going to tiptoe around drunk daddy till he falls asleep kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It is not because his screaming, shouting, overbearing emotions drown out your own. Mm-hmm. Until your entire world is about protecting that mm-hmm. little, not letting that yeah. bubble pop. Self-preservation. Yeah. And so I do think, well, I mean, kind of what you're saying before about like Rebecca, the rebellious one in this is that maybe she's done a lot of work about like yeah. <laughs> on codependence and that is like very, and is really like in that process of like separating from. That would have been a Great departure. I yeah. would have been happy to see her just like working through it a little bit yeah. instead of, you know, and especially kind of like since she has this facade of being this, this rocker that's so irresponsible. It's mm-hmm. like me, but she seems pretty responsible. Like, yeah, she doesn't have like a fridge full of food, but like she's, she has her own apartment. She's like taking care of herself. She she's got great hair. She has yeah. excellent hair. I mean, let, we can't overstate it. It was pretty perfect throughout. Um, Look at that cool inset window in her, like to her bathroom from her bedroom, which yeah. is so cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to be doing something right. Yeah. Like it would have been a fun, I feel like we're doing a lot of work for this movie by giving it the credit we're giving it, but then also like not to Monday morning quarterback lights out, but yeah, even something along along the lines of you see her at kind of like a 12 step type of meeting, but to find out it's like a, um, gosh, what's the one for the kids of, I think it's, um, Al-Anon, Al-Anon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For like kids of addicts, you know, but you see her there and you think like, Oh, maybe like she has a drug problem, right? Like she's like the rock or whatever. She has like that kind of lifestyle. But then to find out like, "Mm, she's doing this to like, Mm -hmm. it could be both, but that like she's, coping with and learning how to deal with her her mother yeah in her day-to-day life or diana that would have been like a fun yeah well sophie the mom unfortunately she is just checking off all the boxes of codependency she's playing the victim she has to be in control she shames and guilts rebecca for leaving her saying how this is like all her fault yeah, it was. And know, never so. clearly acknowledging the thing that we know, right? That is that Diana definitely killed her dad. They do. They do. They do say that? Yeah. Okay. She's like, she she killed dad. Okay. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and sadly, sadly at the end, the mom does not have the strength to stand up to Diana. And she just kills herself. I thought that was my least favorite part of this movie. It really shouldn't have ended that way. Um, I agree. Un, an un- it was totally unearned. Mm-hmm. And my and unfair. It and felt- unfair. Yeah, it felt like uh, I almost would have been happy with any other ending. If they had built up to that, I- I'm not, it's not the suicide that bothers me. Uh, <laughs> though suicide does bother me, but not yeah. in horror movies. Like it could have been great. It could have been earned, but it wasn't. And I was really hoping 
that Diana was going to come back yeah. after the mom killed herself because problems don't die with the parents. Like it could have been this great way of talking about how like Martin and Rebecca are still dealing with this and always yes. will. Um, yeah, that sucked. Oh, fuck this movie. Um, <laughs> Five stars. Uh, and then little Martin. Um, yeah, he's going to be fucked for life after this. There was a part in it where in the Home Alone section of the movie where he and Rebecca are separated. Again, could have been truly terrifying. Totally wasn't. But he wakes up and and then does find Rebecca and he's like, don't leave me ever and like yells mm. at her and oh my goodness the intensity of of young children yes woo is and boo they're very intense they they have no problem emoting and telling us exactly how they feel and i love that about them um you have to just separate the words from what's actually going on don't take the bait thank you dr becky but it just really rang true for me in that moment how how intense they can be like yes they will just really let you know i think that that intensity keeps you on your toes talk about like you mentioned like not taking the bait and that is all codependency bait because like that's all the stuff that they're putting out there is so easy to, to negate those feelings or, or like um obsess over the good stuff too when they give you like a morsel of like mm-hmm. just really like honest love or, or or comfort or safety that like when you get that sense from them that you're like, oh, we're doing all right here. <laughs> that, that that can be like sometimes you try to like suck all the meat off of that bone <laughs> in a way that is maybe that is also probably like unfair where they're they're still they are at all times just trying to get across these really just like core mm-hmm. needs and, and desires. Tonight when I was putting Wu back to bed, he came in right before we were recording. And he sometimes will ask to be cuddled, which is wonderful when he does. But usually it's also an excuse just to like get up for a minute and yeah. stall and do all that. Well, I think that the the need is actually to be cuddled and that they're at, that he's not actually trying to stall or do what like the stalling is what we perceive and the cuddling is really what he needs and the facts the fact that he you know he's not saying like i want water i want to watch tv i want to you know like yeah, he, yeah yeah and all those things <clears throat> really mean just like i want you to come and just snuggle me for a little bit yes yeah and tonight when i when i so i was snuggled you know it's kind of lays got still it's like a little converted crib thing so you're kind of always like awkward like on the floor sort of like an arm <laughs> hung over him and so when you just have like an arm slung over him, like a human weighted blanket, I really try to pause for one thing and absorb that time. Mm, me too. Like I try not to take, even when I am like, oh, we're trying to get the show on the road here. Like literally, I, literally this show needs to be touring tonight. I will try to pause, appreciate the moment. And tonight he whispered, thank you. He said, I love this. It gives me extra energy. Oh, my God. And you're just like. My heart is dust now. (sighs) So thank you for that. All right. Well, got to go. You know. um, All right, kid. Go to bed. Yeah. That's enough. (laughs) That's enough of that. Oh, my God. I love him so much. (laughs) That was so. 
Ugh. So goddamn good. And I, these are hard traps to, to avoid. Like the, the emotional perils of parenting are, are many. It is so hard not to like. Yeah. He's really been getting under your skin during mealtimes, just being super annoying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it is really, it's a challenge. And that's something else I've noticed, especially, yeah, recently being in like the, the work from home environment is I feel like I'm not taking the moments for what they are. And that's a, it's something I try to keep in check. And like, I do let those smaller things annoy me because I'm spending less time with them during the day. I don't know quite what it is, but it feels like a thing where I am, it's harder to flip the switch to be like back on their level. And so that I do think those things like, can kind of get under my skin quicker than yeah, on a weekend sure. or whatever, even. It's just like... Yeah, another weird thankfulness to this time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, yeah, I, it is, it's way harder to tra- transition from work to kids. And then I think about how like in normal times we just would have both been doing that. And it's really hard to like recenter and be present and, you know... Every kid is different. Every family is different. Every situation. And so I'm not like, I definitely have much more empathy than I came across earlier when I'm like, millennial parents are the fucking worst. (laughs) Um, It's just alarming to me sometimes. But I overall have so much empathy for everybody, especially right now. But I think this time has also been very challenging in those ways, it hasn't made setting boundaries any easier, I'm sure, if people are working from home or and and also have kids at home and God, it's just all really difficult. Oh, we're all yeah. we're all in this together, you know. Oh my goodness. I'd take all the millennial parents over all the previous generations, though, still. I, I feel like I'll still I know. I just I know. It's still not great, though. I guess what I'm saying is a long way to go. Oh, my God. Yes. A long way. Yeah. It's not the best. It's not the worst by far. (laughs) Lights out reviewed. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Yeah. Let's save it for the ratings, I suppose. But before we do that, I do want to talk to you about young Marvin. Young Marvin. It's Mummy and Daddy's Totally Awesome. Where are they now? Yes, that's right. Gabriel Bateman. <laughs> no relation. Are you serious? No relation. I mean, maybe. Okay, I shouldn't say that. I have an Ancestry.com, this kid. But <laughs> um, according to the Internet Movie Database, where we live, it does not seem to be the same family at all. He's the youngest of eight children. Eight Batemans. As I was looking into some of his other siblings' IMDb pages, because they seem to be a family of performers, they might have had a ninth child. Um, So he's either the youngest of eight or he has a little sibling. Wow. Yeah. I I would say he's- His mom is in Mad Max uh, Fury Road. She's one of the- (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, God, 
oh, geez, how, how, how are they doing during this? How are the Batemans doing? And I'm not talking about the Ozarks. No, ma'am. No, they're from Stanislaus County, California, actually, this family. So I think Gabe, may I call him Gabe? Uh, I think he's the most famous of his siblings, except for maybe Talitha, his older sister, Talitha or Talitha. She was in the Annabelle creation that this guy directed. Oh. So... Anyway, what we need to talk about is that Gabriel Bateman was in a remake of a movie, a recent remake of a movie that we have done the original. The Omen. No. Any other guesses? Mm. We've done the original on our show and it was early days. An original early in the day. Wait, is there a Children of the Corn? No, he was Andy Barclay in the new Child's Play. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Which kind of makes me want to see it. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd see it. I'd see it. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode or something. We could just, that'd be a good thing to do with remakes. Oh, just like a little bonus episode. Yeah, just like talk about it. Could we contain ourselves for that short of a time? Who could say? Doesn't no. seem like it. No, <laughs> we won't let them. We won't let them talk. And uh, that's where he—that's that's what he's been up to. That that's was where in he lives. 2019. Yeah. Wow. So good for him. Shout out, Gabe. Get on some of those royalty checks. <laughs> How about those? How about your folks? Yeah, you should really be thanking us. Um, so. Shall we rate this movie? Let's rate this movie. Uh, Carol, how many Avenged Sevenfold posters unframed <laughs> on an adult's wall do you give this motion picture? What's the title? What is the move? What is the poster? Avenged Sevenfold. Wow. Josh works in the biz. He knows all about music. I know all I... about music, you guys. Um, out of out of how many? Sorry. Uh, out of seven Avenged Sevenfold posters. <laughs> uh, I know that I've given better movies lower ratings on this show, but I feel like I... And maybe I maybe I should give this movie less because they fucked up such a good idea. Mm. But I'm gonna credit at least the the fact that that opening scene and like some some parts of the movie were in the beginning. I would say the first act was definitely the strongest. Um Yeah, I guess I have to give it one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Credit well, where I, credit is due. I, no, because I, I can't. Because then it, it. it just got so bad. But um, but I, I, I think that we've been pretty brutal. We've given like half of a thing, half of one. Like you've given. Oh, that's possible. You've given like two out of 10,000. Like you've really. 
Yeah, so, I guess it's a decimal situation. Yeah. I'm Okay, I'm going to give it one and a half. Oh, God. Yeah, one and a half out of seven. Okay. What about you? I'm... I think I'm actually, despite all of the shit I've been giving it, I might give it three out of seven Avenged Sevenfold posters because I do think most people watch horror movies for the jumps and the spooks and the scares. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie has quite a few of those, especially for like an 80 minute movie. And the beginning is really strong. The monster's good. It's pretty, like, it. there's enough of them throughout that I think you're never quite, um, there's no lulls mm-hmm. in the scares, which, I, as I said before, like, I don't love. But I think that people might like it more. But I guess that's not what this rating is about, is it? <laughs> <laughs> don't put your... Don't think about the audience, Josh. This is I never this have. is your <laughs> No, have. like don't be codependent. Like this is about you. Don't think about how much you're going to upset people. I was bored to shit by the the last 70 minutes of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, I'll go with two. I really did like the opening. I was really hoping he was I had Tremors vibes in the opening sequence. I thought he was going to jump from pool of light to pool of light Mm -hmm. to get away from this monster. Yeah. And damn, that's it. That was the most interesting chase sequence in the movie was right at the top. And that is a shame. Like no one else utilized. Oh, credit where credit's due. The boyfriend. Boyfriend. Yeah. Get into the Volvo. Yeah. The boyfriend. I I called it when he came into the house with them. I was like, okay, he's either going to die. He's either like Diana food or he gets very badly injured, but survives to help raise Martin with Rebecca. Mm-hmm. It was the latter. Right. We still don't know what happens there. But also Volvo, worst possible choice for a car. For either of these people, whoever's car that was. Oh, yeah. The Volvo with like the seat back <laughs> video headrests like they have four kids. No. Get out of here. I know. Um, all right. Down to two. Okay. You know, I almost said like at least this movie didn't do like uh, Martin doing like drawings of Diana, but no. They dupe in the evidence box. They pull out her. Rebecca had drawn like a family and then Diana. She found that jammed into the um, dresser. She found it. But remember, she she has that flashback of when right. she was She remembered a kid. it immediately. Remembered it exactly. And then also found it like how much cooler it would have been if she had remembered just drawing her family and then finds the fucked up one. And it's right. Diana. Or vice versa. Either I just way, I'm more interesting. I'm so over kids' drawings and stuff. Like as a as a vehicle. Yeah, give me some a... adult drawings. Make them good. <laughs> yeah. I want a practiced hand. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I want this to be about a haunted inker. Cut it out. <laughs> okay, let's rate the kids, and by kids I mean Martin. So we're gonna rate you, Martin. 
how many dinnertime hairbrushes <laughs> out of uh, six do you give young Martin? I liked Martin. Martin gets four out of six. Wow. I thought he That's did. That's what liking. It's like a solid C plus. That's right. <laughs> That'd be. I mean, what? That's two out of three. Two out of three ain't bad, as they say. I've never heard that. Oh, a lot of people are saying it. <laughs> You're not on Twitter. That's why. Oh. oh. Um, four out of six. Dinner time hairbrushes for young Martin. Yeah, because five five feels like too many hairbrushes. Excessive. Um, I mean, yeah. one is <laughs> excessive dinner time hairbrushes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because he couldn't, he could not have given a performance that was five out of six. Like, I, I, I think I bring this up a lot with like the kids' performances where it's like they're very much bound to mm-hmm. what the movie is. And I mean, since it centers around them, it makes, it makes sense. Like, you're not going to have a really great movie a really great horror movie about kids where the kids are not good. Right. Um, I guess I could look up and see, you know, past episodes of if that, that has happened. And the kids really fucked it up. Well, it's, you know, (laughs) the omen is a good example of like, he wasn't acting at all. They didn't really make that kid act. Right. So in a sense, it was great because he, it works really well, but it's not like he gave this amazing performance. Right. He seems like a real kid. It would have been weird if Damien was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, making like devil horns or something. Yeah. Whereas like uh, Rusty or whatever, Randy, I can't remember his name, and Poltergeist. Yeah. Rusty he, Randy. Rusty Randy. He does such a great job. Yeah. Truly, oh, man. truly great. Um. Yeah, I'll give I'll give him a four out of six. Can't wait to see him in Child's Play as Andy Barclay. Yeah, that's it. I'm 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 happy for his success, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see him do another scary movie before he's too old. Yeah, because he'll be three years older than this. He's so probably like ten or something. I don't know how old he is, but he is five six, which is two inches shorter than me. And his mother wrote his imdb biography so let's just let that sink in that's fucked up man um earlier we touched on the fact that we will not be traveling for thanksgiving we assume all of you are doing the same if you are preparing a thanksgiving meal and you have young children we're going to share with you really it's a weeknight go-to for us but it always appears at Thanksgiving um, is a super easy mac and cheese recipe. It's a three ingredient situation, all stovetop scenario, takes about 15 minutes to prepare start to finish and is really kind of fun to make too, I find. And it's this, it's from Serious Eats and it, it's just, it's about the easiest thing ever. Our kids love it. You can easily like cut in butternut squash puree to sneak in some vegetables or if you're making it for adults you could easily add in some more fancy Mm. cheeses or Mm. toppings Mm -hmm. or whatever else so a great one to throw in the mix for thanksgiving time uh maybe we'll throw in a couple other recipes 
Carol made a great pumpkin bread the other day. Mm. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we highly recommend that you share some of your favorite Thanksgiving recipes. This is this has been scary good stuff. That is my <laughs> point. Scary good stuffed. Oh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to come to you next post-Turkey Day. So That's right. Hope you have a relaxing day at home with just your immediate family. And um, if you no do... No one else. Yeah, if you do venture out, there's a lot of guidelines flying out now about how to gather safely, which is uh, basically just don't do it. Um, That's right. But there are guidelines of how to do it. So stick to those. Be safe. And don't be a creep. Get in touch. You can email us at mummyxdaddy at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Facebook at mummyxdaddy. We're on Instagram at mummyxdaddypod. Leave us a voicemail, 818-839-1991. And visit us on the internet for show notes and more at mummyxdaddy.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And tell a friend. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by Dara Weinberg. Maggie Spaulding is a pie cooling on the windowsill. Bye. Lights out, old man. I thought I'd read for a while, Chaz. Sorry, 11.30. Lights out. I'm right in the middle of a sentence. But you have to finish it in the morning. Them's the rules. Chess. Good night, my boy.